Right, so I don't know about you, but I really feel <laughs> like God is already doing so much this morning. I, feel, I have that little trembly hand thing where I get a little bit excited because I just feel like God is really moving. Um, and especially not just today, but just the build up to getting back into in-person services and all of that. So I hope that uh, this message um, speaks to you in this time um, of transition back to, well, not just with church, but uh, work, life, school. <laughs> the schools are nearly going back. Lots of transition at the moment. Um, so, yeah, so we are in Nehemiah. Um, last week, Stuart began a new series, um, as uh, Thomas said, uh, from rubble to restoration. And this morning, we are going to be looking at chapter two, jumping right back in uh, where Stuart uh, left off. Um, that doesn't make any sense, but you know what I mean. Um, <laughs> we did chapter one last week, and this uh, week we're going to look at chapter two. So if you don't have a Bible at home, get in touch hello at invernessvineyard.co.uk or our Facebook page, send us a message um, and let us know because we would absolutely love to drop a Bible off to you free of charge. Or the other option is um, that you just put us on pause just now, quickly grab your phone, download a free Bible app, there's loads available um, and find Nehemiah if you can spell it. <laughs> um, and that's you sorted for today and you have the Bible the whole Bible at your fingertips whenever you like. So um, so this is Nehemiah, it's chapter 2, and we're just going to read this together. So I'm reading from the NIV version today. So it says, In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad? when you are not ill. This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favour in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen, sitting beside him, asked me, how long will your journey take and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my requests. So I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this. They were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. So that is God's word. It's amazing that we have, have it, isn't it? Um, so um, Nehemiah um, is working in the Babylonian palace. Um, so he's of, of Jewish descent, but he's in Babylon it, uh, in the king's palace. And he had the not so glamorous job of being the king's cupbearer. 
which if you've got an idea of sort of a waiter in your mind, then that's not exactly what the job was. Um, that was just a small part of it because he was basically the lucky guy who got the first sip of the king's beverages. And if he didn't keel over in pain or even worse, kick the bucket, then the drink was not poisoned, woohoo! Um, and that meant that Nehemiah could just skip over to the king, pass the drink over to him, and uh, he lives to tell the tale. He narrowly escapes death once again, and um, he lives to fight another day and slurp another Sauvignon Blanc, or whatever they had back then, I don't know. Um, yeah, so maybe this was the reason why the king had never seen Nehemiah uh, come to him anything but happy and cheerful and a smile on his face and spring in his step because um, he'd lived to tell the tale. Um, but then one day Nehemiah hears this terrible news that the walls of Jerusalem have been torn down and he's just absolutely devastated. Um, his first response, and this is what Stuart was talking about last week, was just to weep, to pour out his heart before God. Um, and we, we looked at that in chapter one, at his prayer to God as he, as he prays um, in this just place of devastation, just sorrow and devastation. But his prayer ends with a request. Um, so Nehemiah's asking God, give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. He's talking about the king. So as we look at this part of ne Nehemiah's story, um, I thought we could just look at three questions. Um, and so the first one is, what moves us to tears? Just like Nehemiah was moved to tears, he wept, he spent months weeping um, and crying out to God. Uh, what moves us to tears? Now, I'm a bit of a self-confessed geek. I've, I think you've got that, the gist of that when I was talking about Monopoly and board games earlier on. I do love, I, I do love, I'm a bit of a geek, a bit of a nerd. Um, and I know I'm not alone when I say that I love some statistics. Yes, watch out. You're gonna be captivated, completely captivated by really interesting numbers, just watch out. Um, so, and also a little bit of my dodgy music taste. Um, so yeah, the, the band, The Cure, if you've heard of them, back in 1979, claimed that boys don't cry. Don't worry, I'm not going to sing it, but I could, I could, but I'm not going to. It's a bit like a karaoke mic, actually, this morning. Um, yeah, boys don't cry, that's what they claimed. But that's, I mean, it's not entirely accurate, because boys do cry. But they weren't far off the truth, um, because uh, Paul, that was a YouGov poll, back in 2015 found that there is a big difference in how often men and women have, cri have cried over the last 12 months. Now, so this was back in 2015. So I'm not sure how up to date this is now. I think there's probably been a lot more crying in the last 18 months um, than <laughs> maybe previous years. But uh, this is 2015. So 34% of men say that they haven't cried at all in the last year um, compared to just 7% of women. I know, Chuck is interested. He's really interested in these numbers. <laughs> um, and 18% of women say that they have cried at least once a week, uh, compared to only 4% of men. So again, Michael Bublé, he claimed he cried a river. He claimed he cried a river over me, um, if you listen to the lyrics carefully. Um, but these statistics would actually suggest that he probably had a bit of help from his wife, um, if he did actually cry a river. Um, the singer, Fergie, now I do use the term singer quite loosely there, um, she said that big girls don't cry. And again, she wasn't actually far off the truth because older women do cry a lot, lot less than younger women. 
Um, and that goes for men as well. According to these statistics, the older you get, the less you cry. I don't know why, don't ask me why that rhymes, it didn't mean to rhyme. <laughs> I don't know why that is the case, but I'll leave you to think about that. So I might be a youngish woman, um, but I would say according to these statistics, when I looked at them, I thought I'm probably a bit below average on the crying front. I wouldn't say I'm a weekly crier, more of a monthly crier, I think. So um, I do know that I am more of a thinker than a feeler, it's just a part of who I am. Um, and it usually takes quite a lot to move me to tears um, but I would say, I have to admit, I have my Achilles heel. We probably all have an Achilles heel when it comes to tears. And I can sum mine up in one word, and that's Disney. Gets me every time. Uh, all my tears that have been shed to Disney over the years. There's a lot. Um, so, yeah, looking at this, it, it, it would appear that Nehemiah maybe wasn't usually that emotional. Or at least if he was, he left it at the door when he got to work. Um, he didn't bring his troubles to work because the king had never seen him troubled or sad or upset. But when he hears that the walls of Jerusalem are lying in ruins, he is moved to tears. Um, and he's in an absolute state of emotional anguish. And, you know, we have that phrase, wearing our heart on our sleeve, but he was wearing it on his face um, he, because the king recognises but just by looking at his face, that something is really deeply troubling him. And his sorrow is just so obvious. And the king notices it is out of character for him. And when I read this, um, my gut instinct, and I don't know if I'm right, but I don't think that Nehemiah was um, just experiencing this level of sadness and grief because he was a bit emotionally sensitive. Um, I think actually God was stirring it up within him. God was placing in him this righteous sorrow that was necessary to motivate him into action. Emotions, as deep as that, they really can... Oh, I'm about to drop all my pages. Emotions like that, they can really motivate us, can't they, to do something about a situation. And so what is God stirring up in our hearts today? Is it grief for our neighbour who's having a really tough time? Do we weep over Inverness, the homeless? Do our hearts ache for Scotland, for the young people? You know, there's so many things I could mention, but we'll all have something that, that our hearts ache for, that we want to see change. What moves us um, in terms of our emotions, our hearts? And if the answer at the moment is nothing, um, which for me, sometimes it is, I'm like, nothing's really moving me right now. Um, then what are we going to do about it? Because that is not quite right. God is moved, isn't he? His heart is moved for people. And God has really challenged me personally uh, this week. Um, and it's, you know, it, he always does that in a really gentle way. I love that about God. And I was really reminded of a verse um, that I highlighted in my Bible a few years ago. And it's in Deuteronomy, it's uh, chapter 30, verse 6. And it's the message version that really um, struck a chord with me. Where it says, God your God will cut away the thick calluses on your heart and your children's hearts, freeing you to love God, your God, with your whole heart and soul and live, really live. So this idea of God cutting away the thick calluses. And calluses, they form when skin's been exposed to pressure, to friction. The skin thickens, it hardens, and it can get quite painful. But also you can have that loss of sensation. 
Um, and I just feel, I felt like for some of us that there has been immense emotional pressures recently. There's been friction, there's been tension. And our hearts have taken a hit, haven't they? they for some of us, they've been battered, they've been bruised. And it's really natural for us to put up our defences and to respond by hardening our hearts, putting on a brave face, getting on with it. Um, but that is not God's best for us. He asks for our hearts to be softened, to be soft. And um, then we can more easily be touched by his grace. Um, when our hearts are soft, we are just more naturally more sensitive to other people around us and, and things um, in the world that, that we, yeah, where we long for transformation and change. And so I just feel like today, for some of us, he's inviting us to just trust him uh, with our hearts, that he is a good God, um, that he will uh, gently soften them for us today. And we might be moved to tears in the process. Um, I, I love visiting um, castles, ruined castles. I find it really interesting, really fascinating. And uh, recently, me and Stephen, my husband, we went to, I think it's pronounced... Findlater. I wanted to call it, find, call it Findlater Castle because I was like, if someone like went missing, you'd be like, oh, we'll probably find them later because <laughs> it was right on the cliff edge. Oh, it was horrible. It's somewhere not to take children or at least not my children that love running around. And oh, it was quite terrifying. But yeah, it's called Findlater, I think. And it's, it's between Cullen and Port Soy if you want to go and visit it. Um, but there's, I don't know, there's something about the old steps and the ancient doorways and then you get to stand on the walls um, and all of that just sparks my imagination and I, I, I start to kind of try to picture what the people would have looked like, um, you know, what were they wearing, what did they eat, um, you know, what did they talk about, all those kind of things. Sometimes I try to imagine the smell of the place and then I think it's probably, probably not a nice smell. Um, yeah, and then, and then you try to imagine the wall, you know, the walls, the staircases, ceilings. What did the places look like inside? Was there a tower on top of that wall that's, that's all crumbled down? Um, and then sometimes I think, oh, imagine if the people who built this place could see it now. Um, to see their masterpiece that they designed, that they created, just neglected and lying in ruins, empty um, and crumbling. And I thought, well, maybe it would reduce even the, the toughest joiner or bricky to tears. Because a building is not designed to fall. It's designed to stand and to stand the test of time. It's designed to resist the elements, to weather the storm, to protect the people inside from attack, to keep them safe, to face the worst of a Scottish blizzard and come out on the other side absolutely fine, unscathed, to provide much needed warmth and shelter when it's blana hooli outside. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a bit sad when you look at the walls crumbling and ruined and you just imagine, oh, what would the builder think if you could see it now? In um, Nehemiah's day, the, where this story is placed, the ruined walls of Jerusalem represented something much, much worse than just a bit of dodgy workmanship. They were actually an external physical sign of what was going on internally, spiritually, with the Jewish people. Because they had been living in the promised land under God's protection and provision. They'd got there after years and years. They're living in the promised land, but still, time and time again, they walked away from him, they disobeyed him, they rejected his commands, they ignored his warnings. 
And as a result, they were eventually captured by an enemy. They were carried away into exile. And in Babylon, they began to adopt um, these customs, traditions, religious rituals. They began to adopt the Babylonian culture. And they began to choose a pursuit of wealth, business, commerce, um, instead of a life of holiness. So 70 years pass, the Jewish people are in Babylon, and then they are allowed to return to Jerusalem. But actually, when we look at the numbers, there's 2 million of them, and only 50,000 choose to go back, which is only 2.5% of the people. 1.95 million of them choose to stay in Babylon because it's relatively comfortable. Um, and actually, they don't want to go back <laughs> because it's desolate. It's a wasteland. Um, what, what was once their home is not what it was. It's crumbling. It's falling apart. There's nothing there. It's empty. The words that I use, they're, they're like dry, barren, like wasteland. Um, and we can understand why Nehemiah was so impacted um, when we realized that what he uh, noticed was it's not just about the walls. It's not just some buildings that have fallen down, but it's about the faith of the Jewish people. It's about their relationship with their God and how it's just fallen apart. And so at this point, you might be starting to think, you know, what does all of this have to do with the price of bread? What's this got to do with me? Well, the Bible is absolutely full of building metaphors, and I'm not going to go through them all, but Hebrews tells us God is an architect. He's a builder. Matthew, in Matthew, Jesus tells a story about a wise man who builds his house upon a rock, and when the storm comes, his house stands firm. Over and over, Jesus is described as a rock and a stone, and not just any stone, but the chief cornerstone, the cornerstone on which the house of God is built. And here's the really exciting bit for us today, and I think it's something that we've all really learned over the last 18 months, that the house of God is not a what, it's a who, because we are the bricks. We make up the walls. We make up the house in which God lives. And I love in Ephesians, it's the end of chapter two, that how Paul puts it, and this is the message version again. So he says this, God is building a home. He's using us all, irrespective of how we got here in what he is building. He used the apostles and the prophets for the foundation. Now he's using you, fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone, with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone that holds all the parts together. We see it taking shape day after day, a holy temple built by God, all of us built into it, a temple in which God is quite at home. <laughs> I love that bit. So where do our walls lie in ruins? And I think when we ask ourselves that question, that the temptation for me anyway is to look outside, outside of the church, outside of my family, outside of myself, but we are the walls. And before that, we can be a part of rebuilding communities, be a part of uh, serving our city and changing our nation, we do need to address any piles of rubble that exist within our own lives. And for some of us, that thought, you know, like, oh my goodness, I know exactly where that wall is. It's crumbling, it's falling apart, it's breaking down. 
it can make us a bit on edge. Oh, I don't want to deal with it. Or we might just be totally panicked or just despairing, a bit hopeless about it all. But I just want us to think back to that in Hebrews where it says God is an architect and a builder. That we can bring all of that, we can bring the rubble, we can bring the broken bricks um, and we can place them in his hands and we can let him do the work. We can't do it alone, we can't do it ourselves. And there was just three areas I really felt like f that I would maybe strike a chord with some people and um, one of them was mental health and especially I just had the word hopelessness and it was like a, a darkness and a hopelessness. One was our relationships with our children, just feeling like it's fallen apart. And the other one was stresses at work, whether that's a lack of employment or actually just so much pressure and stress at work. So just quickly close your eyes and we'll just ask God, you are the architect, you are the builder. And for any of us where these are our crumbling walls, our mental health, our uh, relationship with our children, pressures at work, stress at work, or anything else, God. We bring those walls to you, God. We ask you to do what only you can do, to rebuild, to restore, to reconstruct, and also just to blow away the dust where it just needs to go and, and we need new bricks. <laughs> just get rid of any any sort of debris. I thank you, God, you care so deeply for us, God, that you that you want to help, that you are a compassionate God. And so we trust you this morning with with the parts of our lives that are crumbling down, God. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah, thank you, God. <coughs> Amen. And there'll be time at the end to, to pray more and ask for God to move. So, we are coming to an end, but I thought we'd spice things up with a little game. So... This is a game that I like to call, because I couldn't think of a better name, things that Nehemiah could have asked for from King Artaxerxes but didn't. And on this piece of paper, I have three things that Nehemiah could have asked for from Ar King Artaxerxes but didn't. And you, the viewer at home, have to write down three things that Nehemiah could have asked for from King Artaxerxes but didn't. And then at the end of this talk, I will reveal da, 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 the three things that Nehemiah could have asked for from King Artaxerxes but didn't that are written down on this piece of paper. So while you think about three things that Nehemiah could have asked for from King, King Artaxerxes but didn't and write those three things down, I'm going to wrap things up with the final question. Um, so this is the same question that the king asks Nehemiah. What do you want? It's a really simple question, but it's a deep one, profound. And I just love Nehemiah's response. The city of his people lies in ruins. Only a remnant have chosen to return. His heart has been moved, not just by the physical devastation, but by the spiritual brokenness of those people. He's wept for them, he's mourned for them, he's fasted, he's prayed for months and months. He's asked God for favor, he's asked God for an opportunity to speak to the king, 
And here it is. He's upset, he's depressed, he's tired, I'm sure, and he's afraid. And he could so easily mess this up. I, I'm putting myself in his shoes and I'm thinking, oh. <laughs> he could mess this up. He could say the wrong thing, he could do the wrong thing. But before he says anything, he prays to God. He makes sure that his response to this opportunity that is God-given is an answer that is God-given. So in simple terms, he checks himself before he wrecks himself. Um, So what is it that we want? Is it the same as what God wants? Are our desires God's desires? Does our will line up with God's will? And I believe that Nehemiah was a man who allowed his heart to be moved by God. He wanted what God wanted, for for the broken people to be restored, for the ruined city to be rebuilt. And in prayerful submission to his true king, the God Almighty, he humbly puts up his hand and he says, send me. (laughs) He is going to go on a journey from the bearer of cups to the builder of walls. And it's a bit unexpected, isn't it? I don't think he's really qualified for this career change. Um, But from what I've seen in my own life, God is a really big fan of surprising, unexpected twists, exactly like that one. So three questions to mull over. What moves us to tears? Where do our walls lie in ruin? And what do we want? Is it the same as what God wants? So time for the big reveal. Our exciting Sunday morning game. It's probably not that exciting, but anyway, it's the best I could do. Things that Nehemiah could have asked for from King Artaxerxes, but didn't. So we're going to get a drum roll going. You're going to get a score out of three, so please be honest. Tell us on the chat what your score is at the end. So I've got number one right here. I don't know if you can see it. Is a much-needed pay rise. He could have done the extra pennies, I'm sure. I have no idea whether he got paid at all, whether... Living in the palace was payment enough, but he really could have done the extra pennies, I'm sure. He could have asked for a number two, a much-needed holiday. Where did they go on holiday in those days? Don't know, but I'm sure he could have done with a break from, yeah, drinking potentially poisonous drinks all day. And the last one I have here is a job transfer, because I'm sure there was much better jobs in the palace than, again, putting your life on the line multiple times a day. Maybe that's why he chose to go and build walls instead. (laughs) I don't know. I hadn't actually thought of that until I wrote this. I was like, maybe that was possibly part of it. I don't know. That's a silly thing. Anyway, give yourself a score out of three. Did you? Oh, Julia and Gavin have two out of three. Well done. Were you working in a team? Were you competing against each other? Um, There are bonus points up for grabs. If you got any extra answers that I did not get, add them on the chat. And we'll maybe dish out some points later on. Um, there's no prizes, sorry. But you can give yourself a pat on the back if you did well. Um, so I'm going to ask Thomas to come round up here. And we're going to go into a time of prayer. Sorry, that was just a bit of silly fun. Sh- Sunday shenanigans, as I call it.